Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. I'm in a mini two-part series called Take Your Stand. These words are taken from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And the image that I gave last week was of a surfer, me, very poor, very rubbish at surfing. Really annoying that I'm rubbish at surfing, but I am. Surfer getting caught in a giant set of waves where what happens is one crashes on top of your head and then you go under and you feel you don't know which which way's up and which way's down. And then just as you come up for air, another wave crashes in and you get caught in this set of waves. And the analogy that I was using was that that's what it feels like for so many people right now. They feel like they're caught in this set of waves, caught in the storm. And in the midst of the storm in both our own lives and our communities, I believe that we as a community and a church are being called to take our stand. And the reference given in Ephesians is taking our stand against the devil's schemes. We need to be aware that there is a battle raging all around us between the kingdom of God on one side and the kingdom of darkness, between God's will and faith, hope, love, mercy, justice, all of the good things that we find in God. And then then the darkness, distress, pain, illness, anxiety, destructive thoughts. There's a war going on between these two sides. And we as God's people are engaged in the front line. We, can, we carry the kingdom wherever we place our feet. And God is calling us to stand firm, to put on the full armour of God. And that's what the passage talked about, the, the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And then what I talked about last week was the, was the seventh weapon, which was prayer. And it was to pray in the spirit on all occasions in all sorts of different ways. And this last week has been 24-7 prayer week. And I had the the privilege yesterday of just going on the prayer wall and seeing all the prayers that people have been praying. They're they're longing for God to move, to break out in in our nation, for the kingdom to come, to take our stand. And felt so encouraged by looking at that. But prayer at its heart is dependence on God's mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So last week I gave the image of a person. Um, standing firm, one leg being prayer, the other leg being compassion and justice. And so and the, and the posture of that person was kind of leaning forwards because it's that moment where you're expecting resistance. If you're kind of on the backs of your feet, it's very easy to get knocked over. But as I've been praying this week, the Lord has continued to expand that picture. It, it didn't really end there because often when we think about the armour of God, we think about just putting it on individually. We put it on ourselves. And that's right. That's that's the image that we're given. But we don't always think about the army that we get to fight with alongside our brothers and sisters in the faith. And the picture that I had was just of our community standing shoulder to shoulder as we take our stand, bigger than just the individual. And 
you know, any, anybody knows that we're so much stronger together. This idea of an army standing shoulder to shoulder is much better than one soldier that can get picked off. One of the interesting things about the armour is that there's no protection of the back. And so today I'm looking at taking our stand through compassion and justice. And I, I want to start with a story about how the value of compassion, how the essence of serving the poor and marginalised became so central to the vineyard churches across the world. So shortly before the vineyard churches began under John Wimber, who, who started them, he called his wife Carol one evening from Tennessee, where he was teaching at a church conference. And this was a gathering of a denomination that had been started, as John put it, with fire from heaven that fell on the poor farmers and uneducated masses in the area. And this is between John and his wife. And he says, John called me weeping after being with his people for a few days. He'd been up all night reading and praying over Isaiah 58. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And he described the old evangelist with his voice blown out from the years of preaching out in the fields. There wasn't a sound in the enormous tent except the rough, broken voice of the old man calling the people back to God and the ministry they were called to by God. He told them to get rid of their shiny new cars, leave their big houses and throw away their fancy clothes. Go find your old overalls and work boots and go out to the needy again. He said, feed them like you used to, help them like you did before. That's how you started. Go back where you started. Go back where you began. Go back to God. So John listened and watched as the conviction of the Holy Spirit rested on these people and the weight of God's presence moved through them like wind over a field of wheat. And the only sound was a deep, quiet moaning with every continuing word spoken. They, they swayed one way and then they swayed the other. And John told me that it was the most powerful time he'd ever experienced. And I wept with him. The weight of God bent me with them, he told me. I can't stop crying. Something had happened in his soul. Something had happened in his heart that had been implanted. Then he said, and to feel the full impact of this, you have to know that John had been adamant about being through with pastoring. That he was like, I'm done. I'm not going to do that again. And he said, Carol, if the Lord ever calls me to pastor again, still sobbing, I want us to minister to the poor, the hungry and the needy. OK, OK, I said. And apparently God said OK, too. Our responsibility to the poor and marginalised was etched into our spirits right from the beginning as the Lord made it a personal issue with us in the vineyard. It's something the father entrusted to us and something that we must guard and cherish because it is very, very, very important to him. I spoke to some friends, uh, Josh and Katie, who planted a vineyard church in Oxford yesterday, and they are so excited. They have just acquired a little shop front in a shopping centre in Oxford where all of the buses come into. I think it's quite a, a, a poor neighbourhood. And this is them launching their compassion ministries. They're like, we're right in the heart of the city. We're exactly where God wants us to be because it's in our DNA. It's, it's who we are, serving the cities and towns where we've been planted. When I joined Trent Vineyard Church as a student, I was studying theology and I ventured along to small group for the first time. 
and there were about 20 of us packed into the to the front room and this was the the time before social distancing so it was it was sweaty in there but a student the the year above me had invited a homeless man to come to to group that that time for the first time and so as as i as i walked in he was there with his dog called wolf who was pretty terrifying i am not good with dogs at the best of times and i remember walking past this dog like oh but um so we started worshiping the meeting continued and the the homeless guy i can't remember his name was still in the hallway because he didn't want to leave his dog and anyway as the singing started he started to manifest a demonic spirit and if you've ever seen that happen it is slightly terrifying actually watching that happen so i I was worshipping, this was my first week in small group, worshipping in the lounge, watching what was happening in the hallway. I'd never, I'd never to that point seen anything like it. And it reached the point where this, this man couldn't stay in the house and he had to go and be sick uh, across the road in the park. And Tom and Helen, who were leading the group, kind of just took this in their strides. Uh, it's just a normal week in their eyes. But this man, we, as, as we went on, that found out that he'd been into devil worship. So they ended up going up and burying his jewellery and symbols in the park and praying the power of God to set him free. Now, this was my first week in small group. And I thought, I am definitely coming back. I am in. I'm 100 percent in. This is real. It's messy. It's the gospel. It's what the scriptures talk about. That's the kind of small group I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So why should we care about? justice and serving the poor and the oppressed. I've been reading Tim Keller's book called Generous Justice this week. If you're looking for a book to read, I would highly, highly recommend this. Comes with a health warning, it will ruin you. Thought-provoking, deeply, deeply challenging to the way that we live. And, and, I, and I've used some of his material for this talk. But in Micah 6 verse 8, it says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And it's a great verse to memorise and live out. It's a summary, really, of how God wants us to live. When you sit there like, well, what did God ask us to do? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. So what does this consist of? Well, the, the term for mercy is the Hebrew word chesed, which means God's unconditional grace and compassion. I love that. Mercy. God's unconditional grace and compassion. The word for justice is the Hebrew term misfat. And in Micah 6, 8, Misfat puts the emphasis on the action. So Chesed puts it on the attitude or the motive behind the action. So to walk with God, then, we must do justice out of merciful love. The, the word Misfat in its various forms occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And its most basic meaning is, is, to, is to treat people with dignity. And over and over again, Misfat describes taking up the care and cause of widows orphans, immigrants and the poor. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Zechariah 7, 10 and, 11, 10 and 11. It says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. At this time, these four groups had no social power. They were at the bottom of the rung. And today this quartet could well be expanded to include the refugee, the, the migrant worker, the homeless, the elderly, the prisoner. You know, you can fill in that. 
but but the misfat or, or justness of a society according to the bible is evaluated by how you treat these groups so coming back to the question of why should we be concerned about the vulnerable in our society and world it is because god is concerned about them consider the following text psalm 146 7 to 9 he executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He lifts them up. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 18. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. So reading the scriptures would lead us to assume that God's heart is on the side of the poor. This emphasis in the Bible has led to some to speak of God's preferential option for the poor. The Bible says that God is the defender of the poor. It never says that he's the defender of the rich. Why is that? Well, rich people can certainly be treated unjustly. But philosopher Nicholas Waterstoff says it is a simple fact that the lower classes are not only disproportionately vulnerable to injustice, but usually disproportionately actual victims of injustice. Injustice is not equally distributed. It stands to reason that injustice is easier to perform against people without the money or social status to defend themselves. The poor cannot afford to get the best legal counsel. They're often the victims of robbery, one of the most common forms of injustice. And law enforcement is much quicker and much thorough much more thorough in its response to violence against the rich and powerful than against the poor. Waterstoff concludes, one has to decide where lie the greatest injustices and where lies the greatest vulnerability. Other things being equal, one focuses one attention on those. In short, since most of the people who are downtrodden by abusive power are those who had little power to begin with, God gives them particular attention and has a special place in his heart for them. He says, Proverbs 31 verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute. As God's people, our attention and leaning, this is the take your stand which I'm talking about, should be towards the weak and vulnerable. God injected his concern for justice into the very heart of Israel's worship and community life. With these texts in Deuteronomy 27, 19, he says, Cursed be anyone who withholds the justice due to the immigrant, the fatherless and the widow, then all the people shall say amen. Jeremiah 22, verse 3, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, the fatherless or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Can you see it keeps going? The immigrant, the fatherless, the widow. This is why God says that we cannot dishonour the poor. And if we do, we insult him. And if we're generous to the poor, we honour him. Now, Isaiah 58, which I talked about earlier with John Wimber, being the, the text that he stayed up all night with, crying over. And it's a text that I've come back to. It's probably one of the foundational texts, the most thumbed for me in the scriptures, because it encapsulates God's heart for the poor. God is challenging the very essence of what our faith is about. As we read this passage, if we're not deeply affected by it, then I think there's probably something wrong with us. So the background is this. God's people have come to him and, and they've been grumbling and they're moaning. 
why they're like, God, why aren't you listening to our prayers? We've done everything right. We've been we've been praying, we've been fasting, we've been worshiping, we've 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 gone through our ticks box exercise, we've done everything right. Why are you not hearing our prayers? Now we don't know exactly what it is that they're praying for, but it, it sounds like they're probably going through a hard situation in this moment. So they're banging their fists and they're like, we've done it all right. And this is where the text comes in. It's like, bang, it says this. So picking up Isaiah 58 verse six, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? So yes, you've been fasting in this way, but this is what true fasting looks like. And that's kind of the title bit of Isaiah 58, true fasting. And it's this, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. And if you do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness, righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. We've experienced that right now. It's amazing, isn't it? How the grass has turned from kind of slightly burnt and everything's just gone green. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Well, God's response in this moment is so strong. And if you look down at verses five to seven, he says, well, let me tell you what a fast is. Let me tell you what worship is. Let me tell you what it really looks like to seek me. Is it not to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see the naked and clothe them? God says something so broad, so it's like, wow. And to get the gist of it, I think we need to actually look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, because Jesus draws very heavily on this passage. And he also, Jesus kind of draws together some of the strings from the Old Testament and he brings it all together in Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about the judgment day. And he says, on the day of judgment, the Lord will have all of us standing in front of him. And he will set on one people, the side, the people who are saved, on the other side, the people who are lost, the sheep and the goats. And this is what he's going to say to the people who are lost. Matthew 25, 41. Then the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. But I was hungry. And you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was a stranger and you did not give me shelter. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. I'll say, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? When did we see you in this condition? And the Lord will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Summary. So if you summarize, this is what God says. If you don't love the poor, if you don't love the hungry, the naked, the poor, wandered, the homeless, if you don't love them, no matter what you say, you don't love me. You do not have a relationship with me. 
the way that you treat the poor tells me the reality of how you regard me. So God is saying here, if you think you have a real relationship with me and you've understood my heart and you've humbled yourself, yet you don't care about the poor, then you do not love what I love. So how we respond to the poor and oppressed reveals the extent of God's heart in ours. This is the real sign of the condition of our hearts. Hence why this this passage, Isaiah 58, if we look at it and we chew it and we spend time in it. And I just encourage you this week, why don't you spend some time in this passage? Why don't you just read it over and over and be like, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me through this passage? Lord, show me my heart. In this area, Lord, is it shut down to you? I want to see as you see. I want to act as you act. But it's challenging. I guess what I'm saying is this is not a peripheral issue. This is not an add on to the gospel. It's like, well, we just have to, you know, it's only just about evangelism and telling people. It's like it's absolutely about telling people about Jesus. But it is also about caring for the poor. It's not an either or. We, we love to be like, well, it's all about this. It's like, no, nope, you have to care about both of these things. This is at the heart of the gospel, how we treat people, how we use what God has given us and what we stand for. So the why question, we literally just need to open the scriptures and it's like scripture after scripture after scripture, like bang, bang, bang. This is what I, God, care about. And I want you to care about what I care about. So the, so the why is so overwhelming. You cannot read the scriptures and think that God doesn't care about the poor. God absolutely cares. The question for us is, well, how? It's like, OK, James, you might have got me on the why. I'm in on the why. How? The why is very clear, but the how is more challenging. And, and it takes prayer and it takes a posture of our hearts. Because we have to constantly be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to look beyond ourselves. Don't know about you, but in a moment like this, it's very easy to go very internal, to look, to become introspective. And, and, and while reflection is good, the kingdom of God is incredibly expansive. And to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that lifts us up. It's like, OK, Lord, the posture needs to be one of open handedness. You know, you know, we often use this analogy in terms of generosity, but I think it's true in terms of everything that the Lord's given us. It's not it, it's it's my gifts. It's my talent. It's my finance. It's my money. In this moment, we're like, Lord, there's an, I, I need an openness of my soul to be able to see beyond myself and my own little situation to say, God, what is it that you're doing? We have to say, God, use me in this area for your kingdom. Throughout the scriptures, it says that Jesus had compassion on people. That phrase, and Jesus had compassion on the people. His heart broke for the marginalised. Look who he spent time with. Children at that time were considered lesser, social outcasts, the sick, the poor, people on the edge. So the starting point is that we have to ask God to implant his heart into ours. We have to ask the Lord to do a work in us. And how do we do that? By reflection on what he says. That's where the scripture begins to change us. As we spend time in the scripture, it's like, oh, that's what you care about, Lord. I'm really sorry that I got distracted over here. This is your heart. We have to ask God to implant his heart into ours, to get beyond ourselves and our own needs. Our life situation, 
Our level of influence, our God-given talents and passions means that it's unique for each one of us. So we have to think about how to live justly and mercifully in every area of our lives. But three main areas are often thought about when we consider our response. And this is somewhat on a bigger level, but I found this really helpful. Three things, relief, development and social reform. So if you come back to relief, well, relief is direct aid to meet physical, material and economic needs. TAVs would be a good example. Our, our, one of the projects that we run with the other churches in the city, um, feeding the, the homeless and the vulnerably housed very much the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last night I was watching a video from some of mine and Jen's good friends out in India, amazing couple, Mary and Kat, who India is suffering hugely in this moment of lockdown, but it's devastating their economy to the point where people can no longer feed themselves. Anyway, Mary and Kat and the project that they run have managed to serve 560,000 meals in the last 11 weeks. Now, this is not their normal thing, what they do. They've served over a half a million meals to their community. Relief, it's like the starvation. The next level is development. This means giving an individual, a family, or an entire community what they need to move beyond dependency on relief into self-sufficiency. And, and that's really our heart with the Tiadver house, which hopefully will be going through this next week, which is where um, some homeless people can come and live. I think four or five will be able to live in that ho- house. But it's, it's more than just feeding. It's moving on to saying, oh, do you know what? It's holistic. We, we want more than that for you. We want you to be able to work and, and to live and to thrive and to flourish. And so, so excited about that. Just want to take a moment to pray for that. Lord, I want to pray for your blessing over that house. Lord, I thank you that you've given us this house. And Lord, I want to pray for the team as they put that together. And we, we want to pray for the right people to come into that house as well. And then finally, so there's relief, there's development. And then finally, you've got social reform, which is helping whole neighbourhoods to change. It moves beyond the relief of immediate leads and dependency and seeks to change the conditions and social structures that aggravate or cause that dependency, social reform. Now, lots of Christians can often struggle with the idea that social systems need to be dealt with. They prefer, prefer the idea that society has just changed one heart, one life at a time, so they concentrate only on evangelism and individual social work. But surely, in mind, it has to be both and. Let me give you a story to illustrate why this is so important. This is by a pastor called Robert Linthian from Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. And he says this, as a student ministry intern, he'd been working among black teenagers in a government housing project in a US city. And a 14-year-old girl named Eva began to attend one of the Bible studies that he led in the project. And at one point, Eva, Eva came to him deeply doubled. And she said, Bob, she said, I'm, I'm under terrible pressure and I, and I don't know what to do. There's a very large gang in this project that recruits girls to be prostitutes for wealthy white men in the suburbs. They're trying to force me. And he urged her not to give in to their demands and, and to stick with her Bible study group. And then he went, he went off for summer break. Three months later, I returned and, and Eva was nowhere to be found. And the other youth told me that she had stopped coming about a month after I'd left. I went to Eva's apartment and as soon as she saw me, she burst into tears. They got to me, Bob, she said. Well, how could you give in like that? I unsympathetically responded. Why didn't you resist? resist? And she told me the story of terror. First, they told me that they beat my father and then they beat him bad. And I had no alternative. I had. So I gave in. 
And Eva, I said, why didn't you get some protection? Why didn't you go to the police? Eva responded, who do you think they are? I think this story, when I read it, it broke me, partly because my daughter's name's Eva. Systemic injustice, which is what we're seeing with the Black Lives Matter movement. An uprising, speaking out against corruption, oppression, injustice, racism. That's what the church was called to be. That is God's heart. Recently, I spoke to a lady in our church involved with the fight against human trafficking in our city, particularly in terms of female human trafficking in, in, in regards to prostitution in Cardiff. It's in our city. It's going on in our city and it's on our watch. This isn't something that we're talking about miles away. It's right here. So there's these three things, relief, development, and social reform. And I believe as the church, we're called to all three. Next week is Love Cardiff, where we take a stand. Small steps lead to great change. The journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And we, we, we've got numerous projects involved with justice and, and compassion. But in this next wave, for the church, I think, you know, the, these two legs that I've talked about, prayer and compassion and justice, are going to be what we stand on. This is what I want the church to be known for. It's what I want our church to be known for. This is a pressing in moment. This is what the world needs us to be. We're a church committed to loving our city and beyond. And compassion and justice are right at the heart of who we are. It's in our DNA. The challenge is when we talk about how we get so overwhelmed that we do nothing. It's, like, it's so big, James. I, I don't know how to engage. And there are so many ways to get involved. And we start by looking beyond ourselves and loving our neighbour, the person right in front of us. In our streets, in the places that we live, there will be need around us. And then we go out from there. We serve the city through storehouse. I love this phrase by Andy Stanley. He says, do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Start somewhere and let Jesus's heart grow within you. This is not an optional extra. This is the heart of the gospel. And I just want to pray in finishing. Just going to do a bit of ministry. The words of scripture in some senses are enough. I could have got rid of my bits and just read scripture over us. So we open ourselves up before your Holy Spirit right now, Jesus, and we say move. The, the image that I gave was of this open handedness of everything that we've been given, our time, our talents, our energy, our money. And Lord, we we just open ourselves. And say, use us, use us for the kingdom. The thing that I specifically felt as I, as I was praying about today is. The Lord was going to birth some things, some dreams, this rising up, this standing up. And for some of you, the, the Lord is going to speak right now. 
and he's going to show you. And to be honest, it's not a one-off God speaking. This is talked about, it's about promptings of the Holy Spirit each day. Lord, prompt me, show me. Continue just to stay in that posture of openness. It's like, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. Pour yourself in. Lord, I want to serve this broken city. I want to see the kingdom of God come in power. And Lord, I join with my brothers and sisters in that army. That's our church. That's other churches across this city. That's believers, Christians. We join together. Because we are desperate to see your kingdom come. Lord, we're desperate to come against injustice. Lord, it's all right to be unsettled. I've been really unsettled this week with this. Because, Lord, you're doing something in my heart. Just as we finish, I just encourage you, just commit yourself before the Lord again and say, Lord, willing to be used. Lord, speak to me about this week. What is it that you'd like me to do tomorrow? What is it that you'd like me to do the next day? Because it's the small steps. Being obedient in the small things and then the Lord asks us to do the bigger thing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.